Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. I suppose even the most ardent technologists have at times wanted to get off the grid. Usually, though, the urge doesn't last long. But for the people of Green Bank, West Virginia, it's an ongoing state of affairs. The only town that's designated as a national radio quiet zone is actually not all that quiet. It seems that just as before technology subsumed us, people find other ways to communicate, to be misinterpreted, and to get into lots of trouble. The story of Green Bank and its people is where my guest, Stephen Kersey, takes us in his wonderful new book, The Quiet Zone. Stephen Kersey is an award-winning journalist whose work has appeared in numerous publications, including the New York Times, The New Yorker, and The Economist. He's a graduate of the Columbia University School of Journalism, where he was a Knight Fellow in business and economics journalism. He has covered finance, global affairs, sports, and been a foreign correspondent. And it is my pleasure to welcome Stephen Kersey here to talk about The Quiet Zone, unraveling the mystery of a town suspended in silence. Stefan, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, thanks for having me, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. Well, it's great to have you here. How did you first come to know about Green Bank? I just did a simple search online for places without cell service. And the reason I did that was because back in 2009, I threw away my first and last cell phone. It was kind of like a trivial decision initially. I just, it was old and I was going to be traveling across Asia, and it wasn't going to work anyways, and I just kind of wanted to take a break from it. Um, and when I came back to the United States, it kind of evolved into more of a refusal to get a cell phone, to get a replacement smartphone. Everybody around me was telling me that I need to get one for for my job so that my employer could be able to reach me on weekends or at any time of day or whatever. My mother would, wanted to have one so that she could you know, track me when I was going for 200-mile bicycle rides because she was worried about me. But I just didn't want to get this device that has suddenly become such a you know, pervasive part of our lives in such a short period of time. At this point, it's like 97% of Americans own cell phones. Most of them are smartphones. And it's become a question of where can you, where can you exist? Where can you get by if you're not going to join the movement of having a cell phone and toting around this piece of hardware? And that question is what led me to Green Bank. I guess it was Green Bank or the Amish country in Pennsylvania, although they may have cell service. Yeah, you know, I've read articles about how they have their own workarounds. Like they have, they absolutely have cell service there, and they're willing to use that technology occasionally. There's like a kind of like a conceding to to the fact that these devices have become such an integral part of our lives, or, or so we seem to think. And. Tell us about Green Bank and, and what it is, where it is, and, and, and why it is. Green Bank is unique worldwide. Um, it's unique in the United States and worldwide for being the home of America's very first National Radio Astronomy Observatory and the world's very first radio quiet zone set aside for radio astronomy. So back in the 50s, the National Science Foundation underwent a search uh, uh, of the entire East Coast of, of America, looking for the most radio quiet place suitable for hosting a collection of large radio dishes. These things are massive in size. The largest one today in Green Bank is like 330 feet by 360 feet wide. It's like the, the square footage of two football fields, and it's pointed up at the sky, and it's kind of detecting these just minuscule energy waves raining down on Earth from the heavens. You can't do that work if you're in a, radio, in a radio noisy environment. So that's why they did this massive search looking for the quietest place, and they found Green Bank, and it's quiet naturally. It's surrounded 
by a, a noise-canceling ring of mountains. There's no highway going through the county. There's only three stoplights to this day, only one newspaper, only about 8,000 people spread out over an area the size of Rhode Island. So it's naturally quiet. And then it's, it's continued to be quiet because of these state and federal laws. There's a state law mandating that within 10 miles of the observatory, if you emit radio frequency interference, you could be subject to a $50 daily fine. And then surrounding that is this federal quiet zone passed by U.S. Congress in 1958, which mandates that any kind of land-based radio or cell or other kind of communications installation has to be approved first by the quiet zone administrator who is based there in, in Green Bank. So it's a place that's naturally quiet and it's quiet by law to this day. And one of the things you talk about, though, is that people do cheat. People do have phones or they do have things that they're not supposed to be using there. That's right. And, and that was quite the discovery because most articles and media reports about this place talk about it being a place where there's no Wi-Fi, where there's no cell phones. And just do a simple search online for Green Bank in the quiet zone, and you'll see these articles in the New York Times and NPR in National Geographic, on TV, on the radio. It says that people are happy to follow the, quote-unquote, the law of the land, not having smartphones or Wi-Fi. But, you know, pretty quickly talking with people there and having conversations with them, I was able to dig behind that facade and find out most people do seem to have Wi-Fi, and it was growing exponentially during my time there. Um, in mid-2017, I did a drive around the town with a guy named Chuck Nide. He's like the quiet zone cop. He does these patrols in this truck that has all these antennas sticking out the roof. And those antennas allow him to like hunt down sources <laughs> of renegade radio frequency interference. He's like a ghostbuster, you know, looking for like the ghosts, these unseen uh, renegade signals that are polluting the atmosphere there in Green Bank. We did a drive around town. We found hundreds of Wi-Fi signals just within a couple miles of the observatory. And it grew by hundreds more over the next three years that I was following the town to the extent that there were more Wi-Fi signals than homes in the area, if that was even possible. People do carry around cell phones and smartphones as well, and they do have microwaves, despite that supposedly being illegal as well in this area. <laughs> it's not as quiet as we all would like to think that it is. That said, it's still more quiet than, a lot, than in a lot of other areas of America. There's still no cell service deep in that central part, like around the observatory. Um, but there is this encroachment that the observatory feels from the tech revolution. Is there talk about the fact that eventually the whole Earth will be covered in Wi-Fi? Things like Starlink and, and, and these various satellites are designed to cover every square inch. That's right. Yeah. And that's a real concern for the observatory. And they've voiced uh, you know, distress <laughs> with those companies to say, hey, if you're going to have global Wi-Fi, that's going to make it basically impossible for us to do our astronomy work, not just here in Green Bank, but for radio astronomy facilities that are worldwide trying to unlock the mysteries of the universe. One of the other aspects of the town that you spend a lot of time talking about is the dark side of it, the fact that because it is as isolated as it is, it has attracted an odd collection of folks that purposely want to be off the grid. Talk about that. So, so quiet manifests itself in, in, in strange ways. I, I found that over the past half century, this naturally quiet area, which has been protected in its quietude by these state and federal laws, has exerted like, a, like an attracting and magnetizing force for groups and people who have been looking to get away from it all. 
first you had the radio astronomers back there in, in the 1950s, and then on their heels came secretive military operations. In a nearby town called Sugar Grove is another collection of massive radio antennas. And to this day, the National Security Agency is using those antennas to silently sweep in millions of phone calls and message, emails and text messages every single hour. It's the country's largest eavesdropping bug. The Quiet Zone protects not just Green Bank, but also Sugar Grove. It's, it's a, it's a, it, it, the Quiet enables the U.S. military for the NSA to do its spy work there. And Green Bank is kind of like the, the front for those secretive operations that are happening nearby in Sugar Grove. So first you had the astronomers, then you had the government spies, then you had this massive wave of hippies and back the landers. So many came in that the, the county's population actually rose about 15% in the 70s, which is a big deal given that it's so sparsely populated and it's been on a continuous, like steady, precipitous population decline over the past century amid like the fading of the logging industry. So hippies and back to the landers came in the 60s and 70s, and one of them was a fairly famous hippie named Hunter Patch Adams, who arrived in 1980. Uh, you may remember Patch Adams from the, that 1998 film with Robin Williams called Patch Adams, right? Yeah. So he, he bought about 300 acres of, of land there in the quiet zone where he promised he was going to be building a, a free medical hospital to serve you know, rural Americans. He's since raised millions of dollars for this project and on this promise that he's building a hospital when, in fact, to this day, he's never treated a single person in the entire county. The quiet has enabled him to kind of like operate under the radar and for him to like keep keep up this this kind of, you know, uh, vision of him as being a, a beneficent doctor who's actually doing all this great work, which hasn't actually been done there in Appalachia. Just a couple of years, if you can believe it, after Patch Adams arrived one of the most notorious neo-Nazi leaders in America, a guy named William Pierce, author of a book called The Turner Diaries. It's an infamous novel of race. Yeah, you've heard of it, racist futurism. It's been credited with being an influence on everybody from Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing to more than 40 acts of terrorist violence around the world. And like, you know, up, up to recent years, it's still a fundamental text of the racist right. He was based there in the quiet zone, operating uh, a $1 million hate media empire, selling his books and literature, having a radio show, and really establishing his headquarters there as being like a mecca for hate leaders worldwide. They would come from, from Germany, from, from Europe, from around America, would come into the quiet zone, this super quiet place, to like consult with him and meet with him and you know, get directions on like where the movement was going. Most recently, The Quiet has attracted a group of people known as the electrosensitives. These people believe that they are made physically ill to the point of you know, debilitating sickness. They're on a hospital bed and even death because of modern day communications from this electromagnetic radiation all around us from Wi-Fi, from cell service, from microwaves, from your, you know, your Fitbit, from your Apple Watch, everything everything is, you know, the internet of things is, is all around us. Everything is interconnected. And they feel that the only way they can get away from it is by retreating to the quiet zone. They see that their last refuge on earth from the pain. Do they understand that this is probably not forever, as we talked about before, that the encroachment is happening and in some ways is inevitable? <sighs> you know, it's a good question. Um, do they... 
I mean, they definitely see themselves as being threatened and at risk, and they feel like they're in this existential situation where here I am in Green Bank, it's under threat. Like the observatory itself has its future is in question because of declining funds from the National Science Foundation. And also just it's, it's an aging observatory and there are better telescopes coming online around the world and that money from the government is, is going elsewhere. If Green Bank were to stop having its observatory, the quiet zone would absolutely fade out in that area. You still have Sugar Grove nearby, which needs its quiet, but Green Bank would stop being that quiet place. So for the electrosensitives, they have become vocal advocates for the future of the Green Bank Observatory and for it to remain a radio quiet place. If anything, they, they're the most vocal supporters of the quiet zone. They've been known to go around town knocking on people's doors saying, turn off your Wi-Fi. It's hurting me and it's hurting the astronomy observatory. They've been known to call the observatory and say, hey, I sent something in town. I think you should look, look into it for the sake of our health and for the sake of your, uh, for, for the work that you're doing. They've, yeah, they absolutely see this as something that they need to fight for. One of the other things is that because of the nature of, of the people that have collected there, it's also become kind of a hotbed for conspiracy theories and, 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 and similar kinds of things. Talk about that. It's a fascinating area in so many ways. Um, aside from the Green Bank Observatory, like I mentioned, you have Sugar Grove, which is 30 miles away, also part of the Quiet Zone, and the government actually does secretive operations there. Then just a bit south at the southern end of the Quiet Zone in the town of White Sulphur Springs is this luxury hotel called the Greenbrier. Um, back in the 50s, unbeknownst to anybody without the highest security clearances, clearances President Lyndon Johnson approved for uh, U.S. Congress to build a secret, secret nuclear bunker that could hold 1,200 legislators in the event of a nuclear holocaust. That was built there. <laughs> it actually still exists there underneath the Greenbrier at the very southern end of the uh, of Pocahontas, uh, southern end of the quiet zone. And so there's this like kind of strange nexus of like, why did all these government operations get established there in the quiet zone? How are they linked together? And because of their actually being a secretive government bunker underneath the Greenbrier, and they're actually being a secretive government spy operation at Sugar Grove, many locals think that the observatory is somehow linked together with them, and that maybe there's this you know, underground nexus of caves that connect them all, or that the <laughs> telescopes there in Green Bank are actually missile silos, or that there is an underground bunker that connects from Green Bank to Sugar Grove down to the Greenbrier, and that that's actually this massive nuclear fallout shelter for the U.S. government to exist in the case of World War III. There's all kinds of conspiracies that are there. And that was surprising to me because, you know, you think of conspiracies as existing online, right, as existing as, you know, people being indoctrinated by all the crazy stuff that's floating on the web. But there's this other aspect of when you're in a super quiet place and you don't have people kind of like keeping your crazier ideas in check, you're allowed just to go off into the deep end of whatever those ideas might be that you're that you're existing with. Is the population of the community growing? Not growing. I, I would say that it's still declining. Um, it's in the low 8,000s now. And, you know, a, a big problem there is the observatory itself has been shrinking a bit. They don't have the staff that they used to. It's about 200 employees now. There's a, 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 there are jobs in forestry 
um, there's an education system. You can also get jobs in the education system there. But even the schools have been fading. The, the local high school, I think, has maybe around 500 people. It used to be 1,000 just a couple decades ago. So there are lots of signs of the community waning. And part of that is because not just in Pocahontas County in the quiet zone, but across rural America, there's a real challenge of how do we keep our youths invested in these places where you know, connectivity isn't great, where it's not just bad cell service, but it's also really slow internet. In a world where everything is increasingly online, how do we preserve and keep people invested in these places that are a little bit more disconnected? Is the state of West Virginia supportive of this? They have been, um, absolutely. Back, and the reason there's a, a state law protecting the observatory and establishing that $50 daily fine for rule breakers is because the West Virginia legislature was, was just so damn excited about the idea of a federal radio astronomy observatory, the national radio astronomy observatory, coming to West Virginia. Um, the longtime uh, uh, senator, Robert C. Byrd, he brought in millions of dollars to the Green Bank Observatory, was a huge backer and patron of both it and Sugar Grove, among many other facilities across, across West Virginia. He was a big backer of, of his state. Um, there absolutely is still a, a, a desire within the state to keep this amazing federal radio astronomy observatory there because it's not just doing awesome work in science. It's also become a really crucial partner to the community. It's been a huge advocate for bringing faster wired internet into that area. It's a crucial partner in bringing in fast broadband. It's also a crucial partner in the schools. Now, this is a super remote area where education, it just didn't really have the same opportunities as you would think of kids having in cities or in places where you're near large universities. The observatory kind of fills in that gap and the staff and scientists, they go into the local schools, they teach the robotics club, they help teach the STEM clubs. And it's as a sign of how important that is, like Green Bank Elementary School, which is right next to the observatory, they rub elbows. The soccer fields actually look out at the telescopes. Their, their robotics club has been led by the director of the observatory for several years, they went all the way to the state championships and won. They won like this town, this school that by, by, by rules of the town can't have Wi-Fi, can't have iPods. They still won a state robotics competition and went all the way to the world championships that were held. It's a sign of like how important the observatory is to the community for education and then giving these youths, you know, expanding their horizons of what they can be and do. And how did the people of the town feel about you writing about it and exposing it and uh, put the secret out there? Yeah, you know, I, I, since the book has come out, I've been, you know, sharing it with, with people there and looking for their feedback. A lot of it's been a sense of, like, positive relief. Like, wow, I think you've finally captured some of the nuance and complicated aspects of our community. Like, you know, I, I would, I would uh, before my book came out, I would, talk to them and say, how do you feel about all these articles coming out saying nobody here has smartphones or, or Wi-Fi? Like, it's wrong. It's not true. So why is it happening? And one local man, Bob Sheets, who, who became a good friend to me, who often had me over to his house for, for pancakes or for, for coffee, told me that, you know, a lot of these articles, it was like, quote unquote, disconnectivity porn. It's like outsiders <laughs> coming in to Outsiders coming in to ogle at the at the hillbillies who supposedly don't have cell service and Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, and are you know they're like the savages in Brave New World who are living out on the range. It just felt like a little bit exploitative. And in my book, I try and make them 
you know, more real, try and say that, look, they're just humans living lives like the rest of us, just a little bit more quietly. Stephen Kersey, the book is The Quiet Zone, Unraveling the Mystery of a Town Suspended in Silence. Stephen, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Yes, thanks for all your thoughtful questions. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.